Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I'm just really stoked that I get to be here on the Sunday when they announce the new building. No more. No more set up, no more tear down, and, uh, and uh, a place to be for the next transition. I'm just rejoicing in my heart, so grateful to the Lord. And uh, blessed to be part of this three-year celebration. I kind of feel like family here. I, I think I've been like in three years. This is like my fourth time to be with you. I'm family by now, so. <laughs> so I'm just celebrating uh, in with you with great joy. And um, by the way, we are going to be sharing in communion in a little while. And if you are a lover of Jesus, and uh, you don't have to be part of this church to share in communion here, but if you're a lover of Jesus, you are welcome to participate in that. And if uh, Tiki or somebody uh, is able to just make available one more time, we're going to make an offer. Uh, make make the offer. If you did not get one of the uh, servings when you entered this morning, we want to be able to get one to you now. So, uh, our, okay, our brother has some. Just raise your hand, and we'll serve you. If there's anyone that's okay, we're all served. Perfect.
because of your solidarity, your servanthood, your love, your commitment, your devotion, your your helping, your uh, your your submission, your unity. It's it's unity in the spirit that causes a pastor to talk like that. And I'm telling you, not all pastors talk like that. And so I just want to give tribute to the family on this three-year anniversary. Thanks be to God for the love, the devotion, the commitment, the communion, the fellowship of the saints. I'm thankful for the, the solidarity of the team. Thank you, John and Jocelyn. Thank you, Tanner and Emily. Thank you, Denver and Anna. Thank you, Gracie. Thank you for... Uh, th there's people I'm missing right now because I don't know to call you out, but thank you to the family for three years together. I give thanks to God. service and she said something that had the word fresh in it and I'm like that's the word for the morning a fresh fresh building fresh fragrance I invite you to just to turn to somebody and go fresh building fresh fragrance God is freshening the fragrance of this fellowship. Yes. You're welcome to follow. We've got actually uh, several scriptures we're going to look at this morning. I think we'll have them on the screens, but you're welcome to actually get it in front of you and follow in your Bible if you want to. We're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a really... Uh, Killer. It's a strong passage. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together to love on you, to be joined at the table with you, to fellowship with one another, to lift up the name of Jesus with such excellent friends. Thank you for every guest that has joined us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. And now we are asking for the word of Christ to run swiftly in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Pastor David asked me to just introduce myself a little bit. Uh, for those that this is our first time together, I suffered an injury to my voice 29 years ago. That, has, that left my voice very small. Actually painful to use. The, the sound team is compensating so that my voice can be heard this morning. And uh, I, it, it, it was a traumatic injury. I was a pastor and a worship leader when this happened. And you can do the math on that. What does a pastor?
me on a journey in the Lord. That has given me a unique message. I think by the time we're finished this morning, you're going to go, yeah, that was a unique message. Uh, because that's just how God has worked in my life. Uh, through the journey, uh, I had written one book before this happened. Since this happened, 25 books. I know. It's too much. <laughs> but the Lord has been using this season in my life. Some people that call me the, 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 the speaker that can't talk. I say it this way. I'm the preacher that yells at you and you don't even know it. So I've got a YouTube channel. You can go on YouTube and uh, watch a bunch of films there. Uh, watch the baseball film. There's all kinds of things that my son has put on my YouTube channel. Uh, and you can go to, uh, you can get Kindle, you can get Audible, you can get, you know, Amazon. There's all kinds of options. I, I didn't have a chance to bring books with me today, so you're just going to have to find them. And... Uh, I just got to say this. He's the Lord, my healer. He has promised. I've got some hefty promises that I refuse to let go of. I'm going to stay in this story until you fulfill the dream that's in your heart, your purpose. Because there, you know, there's a profound connection in Scripture between suffering and glory. Wow. Have you picked up on that? Yeah. When uh, we're going to get to some of that in here in a moment, but you want the glory? Did you want the journey? So I'm in it for glory. I am in it to see the face of Christ. Somebody goes, yeah, you're going to see him one day on the other side. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about here in this life. I want to see Jesus. And I believe that he's writing a story. So stay tuned to this channel. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm in for the whole thing, what God is doing. And I know you are too. That's why you're here today. Thank you for coming to the house today. We are going to receive of the body and blood of Jesus today. His very body is going to be part of yours. His very blood is going to be part of yours. And you are going to leave this place today filled with Christ, abiding in him with life and grace, filling every pore of your being. So stay with us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. I've discovered it is possible to preach Jesus and proclaim yourself. Just like it's possible to sing about Jesus and proclaim yourself. 
the most piercing questions the Holy Spirit ever asked me was this, Bob, after you have had an evening ministering to my bride, who does she come away talking about? Leave this meeting today, Peggy. Did I get it right, Peggy? Peggy, if you leave this meeting, Peggy's from. She told me, I'm trying to remember, Tulsa. Visiting from Tulsa. If you leave this meeting today with your eyes on me, I have swindled you. Because I can't help you. I can't heal you. I can't deliver you. I can't save you. I can't protect you. I can't answer your prayer. I can't provide for you. I am a bankrupt beggar. I am a broken, crusty clay pot. I am a slave. I am your slave. I am a slave for the body of Christ. And I have nothing to give you. So if your eyes are left on me, I'm sorry. I just robbed you. But if I can lift your eyes to Jesus today, he heals, he saves, he delivers, he protects. He's the one that, he's the only one that I have to talk about today. And may your eyes be lifted to Jesus Christ today. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is one of those Paul sentences that just kind of goes on. And you can kind of get lost in all the words in this verse. But I want to just, I want to stop for a moment and want you to look at the verse. And here's my question. What is the light that he wants to shine in our hearts? Okay, I'm going to just do it piecemeal. The light that he wants to shine in our hearts, it's not Jesus. you got to back up more. It's not the face of Christ. That's not the light. You have to back up more in the verse. It's not the glory of God. you got to back up more. It's knowledge. The light that he wants to Put in your heart is the knowledge of the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus Christ. Because when you know God, when you know Jesus, when you see the face of Christ, light in your mind, light in your eyes, light in your body, you are filled with light when you
you come to know the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's something for you, John, just for you to play with, okay? In the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, Old Testament came to us in Hebrew, in the Hebrew, there is no such word face. The Hebrew word is panim, which is plural. It's faces. There is no singular word face in the Hebrew language. So whenever you see face in the Old Testament, it's actually faces. Because you have many faces and God has many faces. The knowledge of God is like a many-faceted jewel. So when you're coming to know the face of Jesus, you'll see him this way, then you'll see him this way, then you'll see him this way. He has many faces to be explored. All the facets of the beauty of Christ. And when you come to know the faces of Jesus, you are filled with light in your soul, light in your spirit, light in your mind, light in your eyes, light in your body, filled with light because of the knowledge of Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure, the treasure is knowledge, the knowledge of Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels clay pots so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I am especially aware this morning of my clay pot. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I am a cracked, chipped, scraped, stained, soiled, clay pot. Lots of cracks here. And I'm really feeling my brokenness today. I am, I feel like a failed father. My children have forsaken my spirituality. Well, one of them hasn't, but two of them have. I'm stubborn. People that work with me, they're like, we don't like working with you. You're so stubborn on your opinions. If you're my friend, I don't even talk to you. I'm quirky. I'm dysfunctional. I'm incompetent. I have a lousy, I can't remember anything. I've got a weak mind. I'm filled with insecurities. I'm a leader of nothing. I'm, a, I'm on nobody's team. I live in a constant storm. I've been living in a storm for 29 years, ever since this happened to me. I am a broken clay pot. I breeze in and breathe 
squeeze out of your third anniversary. And you might be thinking, God, the guy looks pretty together. But I'm up here going, oh, you don't even understand how cracked and chipped and broken. I'm a train wreck. And yet in the midst of all that, I've got light in my mind, light in my eyes, light in my spirit, light in my soul. I've got light all the way through my body. How can it be that somebody this broken and cracked and chipped has the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that's in the face of Christ? Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Am I the only perplexed person in this room? I look on the the past 18 months, I'm thinking about your church here, Pastor David. 18 months of calm and 18 months of storm. I've been trying to figure the last 18 months out. And all I can tell you is, I am perplexed. I'm not in despair. I've actually got a lot of hope inside of me. I've got a whole lot of hope for what's coming. But I do not have this last 18 months figured out. What are you thinking? got a film on my YouTube channel on what God's doing through coronavirus. You can listen to it if you want because it's a Bible study on the book of Habakkuk. But I still don't know what he's doing, what he's thinking. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always Now here's our communion verse this morning. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul is quoting from Psalm 116 and he goes, the guy that wrote Psalm 116 had a spirit of faith on him. It was a spirit of faith that caused him to speak up because faith will have you talking. And he says, the spirit of faith that was on the guy that wrote Psalm 116, that same spirit is on me right now. So I'm like, let's go back to Psalm 116. What was that spirit of faith? That was on the guy that wrote one Psalm 116. Here it is. It's Psalm 116, verse 10. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. <laughs> if 
you say that in some circles, they will rebuke you for your unbelief. You go to some churches and say, I am greatly afflicted, and they'll say, that's a negative confession. They'll rebuke you for your lack of faith. And Paul goes, the guy had a spirit of faith on him. And he's going, I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. The psalmist is going, I'm perplexed. I can't figure it out, but I'm not in despair because I think God's up to something. God's got his hand on me. The devil's got his hand on me. People put their hand on me. I'm afflicted. I can't figure the whole thing out, but I'm going to declare my confession because I believe that what God has allowed in my life is for a divine purpose. He has started this thing. He's going to finish the thing. I can't figure out where I am right now, but I do know who I'm with in the journey, and I do know he's going to bring me through this thing, so I'm holding to his hand. I'm believing his word. I've got a promise in my spirit. I'm loving on him. I am greatly afflicted, and I'm saying it under a spirit of faith. And then the next verse, the psalmist goes like this. I said in my haste, all men are liars. The psalmist goes, y'all are a bunch of liars. You're looking at my life. You're coming up with judgments. You're looking at the affliction in my life, and you're figuring out what I'm doing wrong and how much faith I don't have and all the things that I'm blowing it on. Ah, y'all are just a bunch of liars because God's got his hand on my life, and I believe that I'm afflicted with the holy purpose. And so, and so he says, I got a little bit hasty with it, and I just said, everybody's a liar. And actually, I think there's a couple guys that got it right. Most of them are liars. But I was a little bit hasty in saying they're all liars. If you're going to walk the walk of faith, you have got to shut out the voices of the liars that are all around you. I'm telling you, when you turn on the news, you are listening to liars. Turn on the internet, it's a bunch of liars. So the first thing I want to say here to dwell on this third anniversary is turn off the news, get stop listening to the buzz in the body of Christ because they're a bunch of liars. Not all of them. Okay, I got hasty right there. There's a couple of them. If I had listened, John, in my journey in this affliction, if I had listened to all the voices around my life, I would not be here today. I'd have been knocked 
out a casualty a long time ago. Sometimes you got to shut off all the buzz and just get in the Word of God and hear from God for yourself because they're all a bunch of liars. Jesus was greatly afflicted on the cross, surrounded by a bunch of liars. And here's what Jesus says about his cross. It's Luke 24, verse 46. This is after the resurrection. He's looking back. He's debriefing with his disciples on the cross. It's our next frame, I think. He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary. I want you to say with me the word necessary. The cross was necessary. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, Pilate sure blew that one. He doesn't go, oh, the chief priests, they're going to regret that one of these days. They're going to regret they blew it so big. He goes, it had to happen. The cross was necessary because of the glory that was to follow. If I'm going to enter into my glory, he said, the cross was necessary. It was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. It was necessary to fulfill the scriptures. It was necessary to fulfill the plan of God. It was necessary to redeem a planet to himself. Your trial is necessary because if you're going to enter into the glory that God has destined for your life, the trial becomes necessary. Stop listening to all those liars. Peter picks up on that word necessary, and he's going to use the same word in his epistle. This is 1 Peter 1, verse 6. Peter goes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. See that little caveat right there, if need be? That little qualifier? It's the exact same word that Jesus used when Jesus said the cross was necessary. Now Peter goes, if being necessary. That's the exact translation. If being necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Next verse. That the the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your trial is your certification. It's certifying the authenticity of your faith. So, Sherry, when you get to glory, and you're going to stand there in glory, and they're going to be like, okay, how do we know that this is the real 
deal. And they're going to play the, 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 the going to come back on the screen. Look how she did it in 2020. Look how she did it in 2021. Look at how she walked through that trial. Look at how she held to promise. She held to the word. She stayed in faith. She loved him the whole way through. Everything was against her. But we've got the real to play right here. This is how she did it. And it goes down in glory. This was the real deal. Your trial is your certification. And it's showing faith that is more precious than gold. I think we've needed this storm. I think we've needed the last 18 months. Don't ask me to figure it out. I'm still perplexed. But I'm going. If need be, I, I, I think we have needed this pruning. This sifting, this fire. Sometimes you have to test something to know what it really is. You go to buy yourself a motorcycle, you go to the shop and you look at that motorcycle and you're like, man, it's got the right colors, it's, I, I like the design, I like the specs. Everything about this motorcycle, uh, I, th I think it might be, I, I can even live with the price point. One issue, can I take it for a spin? Because until you test drive that motorcycle, you're just never quite sure what you've got. And sometimes he needs to test in our lives to prove the authenticity of our faith. I want you to hear this one carefully. Character is not known until it's proven by temptation. Love is not known until it's proven by hatred. Faith is not known until it's proven by trials. I think we've needed the last 18 months. And I'm speaking of Dwell Church. And I'm speaking of the global body of Christ. We've needed some fresh fragrance. Jeremiah 48 verse 11. 
we're going to do it. Here we go. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. The Lord is likening the nation of Moab to a vat of wine. In the winemaking process, they will take the wine from one vessel and they'll pour it into another vessel so that they can get it off the old dregs. The dregs are now removed and the wine can move forward in the process of perfection. And sometimes God needs to take you from this vessel and pour you into this vessel to get you off your dregs. Because if the wine stays on the dregs, I don't know what happens, but it's not good. I'm a little bit ignorant on what happens, but I guess it gets bitter and sour and unsavory. Whatever happens if you leave it on the dregs, you don't want it. You want to get it off the dregs so that the wine can move forward. The same thing happens in our lives. We get settled, we get comfortable, and God's like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to mix this thing up. We're going to freshen your fragrance because we get soft, we get flabby, we get stagnant, we get settled, and he pours us from one vessel to another. Did you know that nations have a fragrance to God? I wonder what America smells like. I do not know the answer to that question. <laughs> Churches have a fragrance before God. Individual believers have a fragrance before God. Tanner, I think it's a good question sometimes just to ask the question, how do I smell? Yeah. <laughs> Lord, what's the fragrance of my life? He's like, you've been living on the same street, living in the same house, doing the same job, going to the same school, going to the same church for too long. We're going to mix this thing up. And he pours you from one vessel to another vessel. And you're going, oh my goodness, what just happened to me? You are perplexed. You're not in despair, but you sure are perplexed. What is going on? On. And he's like, I'm freshening you up. Yes. Say it to your neighbor again. Fresh building, fresh fragrance. Come on, say it to the neighbor on the other side now. Fresh building, fresh fragrance. Documentary on winemaking. 
And in this documentary, they were dealing with the topic of what produces a vintage wine. Now, a vintage wine, as I understand it, is a wine from a particular year that because of the growing conditions of that season produced an exemplary wine that they then talk about for years. And they'll go, the wine from 2012. <laughs> if you can get yourself a bottle of 2012, <laughs> that was the year. There's not very many of them around you're probably going to pay for it, yeah. but 2012. Vintage wine. Yeah. And so they're talking in this documentary, what produces a vintage wine? And I'm watching the documentary, Anna, as a novice, and I'm going, I know what produces a vintage wine. You get lots of sun, plenty of moisture and rain, nice warm temperatures, you know, keep the weeds down and tend to the thing. Voila, vintage wine. And they go, actually, the opposite. They said, to get a vintage wine, you have to have a hard season. Too much sun. Not enough sun, too much rain, not enough rain, too cold of temperatures. They said you have to have adversarial conditions that stress the vine and force the vines to work harder. They said it like this, you will never get a vintage wine from unstressed vines. And they're like this, they go, a farmer will never irrigate his vineyard in a drought. And I'm like, bro. That's exactly the time you need to irrigate your vineyard. There's no rain. And the farmer goes, no. If I irrigate my vineyard in a drought, then the roots of the vines will return to the surface to capture the surface moisture. But if I intentionally stress the vines by withholding irrigation, those roots have only one direction to go. And now, desperate for moisture, because they're trying to stay alive, desperate to survive, they are pushing roots down, now this is for the Trekkies, going where no root has gone before. And now, the roots are touching untapped resource. Did you know that soil gets tired? Yeah. 
soil gets depleted. But now the roots are pushing down into crevices and crannies and going into places where no root has ever gone before, touching untapped minerals, untapped nutrients. And they said, that's where you get a vintage wine. Stressed vines produce vintage wines. This year has been necessary. I don't have it figured out. But something tells me We've needed this. Don't ask me how. I hope you've been putting down roots. I hope you haven't been wasting this opportunity. Jesus, produce a vintage wine with my life, the kind of wine that pleases you, the kind of love that intoxicates you. There's a place in Arizona called the Biosphere. It's out in the middle of the desert in Arizona. It's in a little town called Oracle, Arizona. It's a scientific experiment called the Biosphere. You can Google it when you get home this afternoon. Has anybody ever by chance visited? Because it's a tourist trap. We got a biosphere. Okay, so I, yeah, I actually haven't myself. I've just looked it up on Google. But here's what the biosphere is. It's these domed buildings in the middle of the Arizona desert that have inside an entirely self-contained ecosystem. The idea was to build an environment, they call themselves the world's largest greenhouse, to build an environment inside of these shells that was actually intended to be a, a the idea was, if we can create an environment that works in this bubble, could we take this bubble and put it on Mars? Wow. That was actually, it was a speculative thing, and the thing kind of went bad, but anyways. So somebody has this idea, they're like, what would happen if we were to put fruit trees in the biosphere? We can give them perfect fertilizer, perfect warmth for perfect temperatures, perfect light, perfect everything. We can give fruit trees ideal circumstances. What would happen if we were to grow fruit trees in ideal circumstances? They said, let's do it. So they planted these fruit trees, and sure enough, they 
produced a beautiful harvest with one problem. The branches kept snapping under the weight of the fruit. Because there was no wind in this artificial environment. Did you know the trees need wind? Trees need wind to keep their branches flexible so that when the fruit comes on the branches, they don't become rigid and snap. You actually need winds in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, we need storms. I know you don't like to hear that on a third anniversary, but I'm telling you, we need storms in our lives. We have needed the last 18 months. We need it. Why? Keep us flexible so that the harvest can be saved. We need wind. thinking right now about Paul's storm. You know, Paul had a storm. I don't know if you pay much attention when you get to the last part of the book of Acts. It's really worth paying attention to the story because it's quite the storm that Paul has at the end of the book of Acts. You'll recall that in Acts 22, they put him in prison in Jerusalem. And then Jesus comes to Paul in prison in Jerusalem, and he goes, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. So Jesus says to Paul, Paul, cheer up, buddy. You're going to Rome. What he does not tell Paul, he's in, he's in Jerusalem, point A. He's going to Rome, point B. Cheer up, buddy. You're going to Rome. What he does not tell Paul is how he's going to get there. I'd be like, Lord, can't you just give the guy a tip off? Like, buckle up. This one is going to be intense. And Jesus is like, cheer up, buddy. You're going to Rome. Then Jesus comes a second time. This is Acts 27, verse 24, and he says to Paul, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. So he's got two promises from God. Before this story is finished, you will be in Rome, and you will testify personally to Caesar. So Paul has this word from God. He's got this promise, and he's, he's like, You know, I don't know about all the other brothers on this boat right now, but this much I know. I am getting to Rome. And what a ride he had getting to Rome. Oh my goodness, read the story, the last few chapters of the book of Acts. Now, I'm going to look at the storm, first of all, in a carnal, Bob Sorge, glass half full kind of way. Because when I look at Paul's storm, I'm just like, okay, th this is my carnal glass half full, shaking my head, perplexed. He is 14 days, count it, 14 days, blind. 
around the Mediterranean Ocean in this horrible storm. It is so horrific that for 14 days, there's 276 guys on the ship, for 14 days, nobody sleeps. You can't sleep in this kind of a boat. Nobody's sleeping for 14 days. Nobody's eating because everybody's like, we're dead. When you think you are this far from death, you're not really interested in eating right now. You're just trying to survive. For 14 days, the whole ship is in survival mode. Now, imagine yourself on a boat in the ocean for 14 days. You are caked with salt from head to foot. No showers. You know what I'm saying, bro? Plus, it's, it's the beginning of winter. It's cold. You are cold all the way through. You are wet. You are cold. You are aching. You ache here. You ache here. You ache here. You ache here. Your whole body is in spasms of aching. You are starving. You are exhausted for four days and God is up in heaven looking at his man and just watching. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Paul the Apostle. He's going to write half of the New Testament. He's going to be the most significant shaper of our faith after Jesus Christ himself. He is the man. And he is holding on for one more breath for 14 days. And I just want to know, what are you thinking? You're watching your guy for 14 days. What are you thinking? Corinthians, this is 2 Corinthians, Paul goes, that wasn't my only storm. He says in 2 Corinthians, this is chapter 11, verse 25, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. And he actually is writing this before the shipwreck of Acts. So the one in Acts is going to be number four. He's already hit three. The only way to explain a guy that has four shipwrecks in his history, he just doesn't have very much money to pay for a very good ride. (laughs) If you're going to go out in that thing, (laughs) you get in a storm with that, that boat, it's probably going down. Four times he shipwrecked. And then he goes, uh, a night and a day I have been in the deep. What he means is that on one of those shipwrecks, he spent 24 hours holding on to a piece of flotsam. Some piece of debris from the wreckage. 
all night, all day, for 24 hours, holding on. His arms are aching. His whole, there's no water to drink except seawater. For 24 hours, hanging on for his life. And God in heaven is watching the whole thing. Cheer up, Paul. You're going around. <laughs> what are you thinking? No wonder Paul writes, I'm perplexed. I can't figure this thing out. I don't know why I dangle between life and death over and over. I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm not discouraged. I'm not in despair because I serve the weatherman himself. And I know he's given me a word that he says, I'm going to Rome. And I don't care how much Salt is grimed into my eyes right now. I don't care how much filth is all over my body. I am exhausted and cold all the way through. But I'm going around. So now let me look at the story. I've given it to you glass half empty. Here's the glass half full version. God gives Paul a word. You are going to Rome. And there's five things going to try to stop him from fulfilling the word of the Lord. And it just so happens I didn't really plan it like this. They all start with the letter S. Number one is schemers. Forty guys get together. They, get, they have an oath. They said, we will not eat or drink until we have killed Paul. So get him on the road. We are ready to take the guy out. And their scheme is revealed. And so and Paul is saved. The next thing that tries to take him out is a storm. 14 days storm in the middle of the ocean. But I want to speak a word over your life. When God has given you a promise, there is no storm on the planet that can keep you from the promise of God. I don't care how stormy it is. I don't care how much is against you. I don't care what adversity is against you. You've got a word from God. You've got a promise in your spirit and nothing can stop the word of the Lord. Storm couldn't take him out. Soldiers, well, they, the, yeah, because now it's obvious that the ship is going to wreck. They're, they, they've, they've hit into a reef or a sandbar or something. The prow has stuck fast. The stern is being broken up by the waves that are hitting it. And the soldiers are like, these uh, prisoners are going to escape. It'll be our life for theirs. And the prisoners are like, we'll just kill them. And the centurion stops them from their plan because
because he wants to save Paul's life. So now the schemers couldn't take it out. The storm couldn't take it out. The soldiers couldn't take it out. The fourth S is shipwreck. The whole ship wrecks, sure enough. But Paul manages to escape. He gets on a board or something. In fact, everybody escapes, and they all make it to the island of Malta safely. And so now, I wish I could tell you that the drama was over. It's not over. They're building a fire because it's raining on the island, and Paul is helping gather sticks. He gathers a bunch of sticks, doesn't know that there is a serpent in the middle, a snake in the middle of the wood. He goes to put the wood on the fire, and the snake comes out of the wood, fastens on Paul's hand, and clamps down. And all the natives, they recognize that snake. They go, oh, I guess justice does not, is not going to let this guy live, because that one kills you. And Paul shakes the snake off into the fire, because when you have a word from God, there is no viper, there is no serpent of darkness, there is no demonic thing that can stop you, because you've got a word from God. And the schemers couldn't stop him, the storm couldn't stop him, the soldiers couldn't stop him, the shipwreck couldn't stop him, and the snake couldn't stop him, because he's got a promise from God. And Paul's probably like, you know, I, I, I can't figure the whole thing out. I don't know why it's always so dramatic. I don't know why I dangle between heaven and earth all the time. But I got to Rome. And I testified to Caesar. And the word of the Lord is true. Did Paul need that storm? I don't know. I, I guess he did. <laughs> Do I need this storm? I'm, I got so much perplexity. Pastor David, I've got so much perplexity about this thing. I cannot figure, why 29 years later and I'm still shackled in this prison? I can't figure it out. By the way, I'm not asking anybody's opinion. Y'all a bunch of liars. <laughs> I'm just going straight to God. I want to know what he has to say. But I've got a promise from God, and I might be dangling between earth and heaven, but I believe that as I hold to his word, nothing can stop his purposes in our lives. And I don't care what the last 18 months have been like, because I, all I know is, yeah, I, I, I think he's producing some vintage wine here. I think he's freshening our fragrance. I think he's got a purpose. Don't even ask anybody. They're a bunch of liars. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm finished. Okay, Marlita, I'm finished. I'm calling you Marlita. I was, I was in El Paso. 
hassle. Just before the COVID thing hit, it was January before the thing comes up, I'm in El Paso, I'm at a church. Now, something to know about me is uh, when I speak like this, by the time I'm finished, I'm really finished. And so I write on a notepad when I'm finished. So it's after the meeting, I'm on a notepad and I'm visiting with the pastor's wife. And it's our first time to be together and she's asking me questions about my story and stuff. And she asked me, she goes, does it hurt when you talk? And I wrote on my notepad, every word has been painful for 28 years. And she looks at me and she gets this look of compassion and she goes, I'm sorry. You know what I wrote back to her, Marlita? On my notepad. God has never apologized to me for this. He never apologizes for the trials of life. Joseph, why should I apologize to you for your ten horrific years in that Egyptian prison? When I'm going to use that prison, you're going to become a feeder of nations. You are single-handedly going to save the lives of every person in the nation of Egypt. You are going to you are going to set your family up in Goshen, where they are going to become a nation of their own in the womb of Goshen. Why should I apologize to you for this? Job, why should I apologize to you for your horrific trial when I'm going to use this trial? You're going to, you're, Job, you're going to become the first signpost in Scripture to the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you the first book of the Bible. You're going to have a spiritual inheritance in every generation, and I'm going to lift you up, bro, and you will see God with your eyes. Why should I apologize to you for this? Jesus, why should I apologize to you for this cross? The most horrific suffering that anyone has ever known. He never apologized to his son for the cross because he has holy purpose to redeem this cross and produce the greatest glory that eternity has ever seen. Let's come to the table of the Lord. We're going to celebrate this cross. Yeah. I'm going to ask them to, and the worship team can be ready to uh, whatever God gives you, but I'm going to ask them to give us our communion verse one more time. Second Corinthians 4 verse 10. Or it was earlier in our notes, and they're going to find it for us again. Please, Second Corinthians 4 verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. I, just, I want you to just take 30 seconds and talk to Jesus about this verse right now. Just talk to him about it.
when I take this bread, I am sharing. I'm saying, Jesus, you laid your light, your body down. I lay my body down. Jesus, you gave your blood. I give my blood. Everything is for you. It's all for you. And even in our perplexity, Lord, there's some people in this room, you're in a situation right now, you cannot figure it out. You may never figure it out. But you're not in despair. Because you know He's going to finish what he started. He's going to bring you to glory. You are getting to Rome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dangling between heaven and earth. Can't figure the story out. Jesus, thank you for the dignity of sharing in your body and in your blood. And now, Abba Father, we ask for you to bless this meal. We're asking, Abba, let this be the very body of Christ for us today. Let this be the very blood of Christ for us, that as we take of this meal, that we would ingest the very person of Christ. Jesus, live in my body. I want your body to live in me. I want your blood to be my blood. I want to be you joined to you. I want to abide in you. I want, I'm I'm laying my life down like you laid your life down. Your cross gives me the heroic courage to take up my cross and to say yes to you, to die to self, to die to flesh, to die to my own aspirations, and to live to the upward call of God in Christ. Blessed Abba, I pray. And Lord, may there be a release of power in this room today. Your saints have gathered together together to this morning. I'm asking honor their faith, honor their courage, honor their devotion, honor their loyalty, and let the grace and the power of God fill every person this day as we receive now of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, I ask in the name of Jesus. Now here's how I invite you to take it. I invite you to find one or two other people, maybe a group of two, a group of three, max four or max in a family. I don't want, let's not go beyond our family, but uh, if two, three, four, a family, if you want to, if you will, I invite you to take it together. You might even want to serve one another. This is the body of Christ for you. This is the blood of Christ for you. If you want to serve one another or if you want to take it yourselves, but let's receive two, three, four. The worship team is going to give us some language here to give our love to the Lord. And uh, then we're going to be available to pray here for anyone that wants prayer. Anybody that, just something in the Word of God today that you you just want to come and pray with somebody and or just stand here before the Lord. I'm available to pray. My prayers will be silent, but I'll come and I'll lay my hands on you and bless you. I invite you to join the conversation that our worship team will help us with to respond to the Lord Jesus. But receive now the body
body and blood of Christ. Receive his grace. Pray for one another. Bless one another. Come to the front. Let us pray for you. And leave this place perplexed, but not in despair, because you are getting to Rome. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.